Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast and we're also recording this for IGTV today. So if you're watching this on IGTV, very warm welcome. If we haven't met yet, then my name is Claire. I am a registered nutritionist and I also have a background in exercise science as well. And I solely focus on PCOS because I have it too and I know how damn frustrating the symptoms can be. So this is a rapid fire Q&A mini podcast where I'm answering the questions that you guys have submitted to me from uh, Instagram stories in our question box there. So we're going to get straight into it today. So first question from Tara. So is period pain, is it true that period pain is not a symptom of PCOS? If it's severe period pain, yes, I would say that is true. So um, if you look at the symptoms of PCOS, period pain is not one of them, or severe period pain. Many women can have severe period pain, and, and I've seen women that I work with, and they come to me and they say, oh, but this is just PCOS, right? And I'm like, no, you know, like you're having to take high dose painkillers. And, you know, I, I remember talking to one woman recently and she said, oh yeah, but if, you know, if I remember to take the high dose painkiller before I, um, you know, when I just start feeling my period coming, then I can delay that, you know, really severe pain. But if I miss that, then yeah, I'm probably like, I can't really go to work the next day or, you know, and when I was younger, it was, I couldn't go to school or uni. So that's not normal, okay? And and when I explained that to her, she was like, ah, it's not normal because my sister's like this as well. And I was like, no, it's not. And so I would 100% be looking at what else could be causing that. Um, so definitely book an appointment with your gynecologist if you're getting quite severe period pain. Um, Endometriosis UK have a really good questionnaire on there about the kind of and they've got like a pain scale that they've developed so you can use that to kind of score your pain and see so that you can then have a use that as a talking or discussion tool with your gynecologist or doctor to talk about the kind of period pain that you get and maybe some other symptoms which could help direct them to what could be causing that it doesn't necessarily need to be endometriosis there are other conditions that can cause severe period pain as well um, but that's just a really good questionnaire that they have there um, so I would say that some women get discomfort and pain with periods with PCOS and often this is because they'll have quite heavy periods um, and the reason for that is because of the hormonal changes in PCOS and often you have high levels of insulin as well which can all lead to thickening of the uterine lining which means that you get when that sheds because that's what sheds when you get a period then you're getting when it's thicker you're getting a heavy period and heavier tends to mean a bit more discomfort and pain but it shouldn't need high dose painkillers to get through that um, in most cases of course there's always going to be one or two exceptions but as generally I would say it's a really good sign to go and actually have a chat to about it with your doctor or gynecologist Kaylee, your question, can you have a, both adrenal and insulin resistant stuff going on with PCOS? Absolutely. I am prime example of that. Um, most women that, well, not most, but a lot of women that I work with, I would say there's about, when we've surveyed those in the PCOS protocol coming through, um, about 40% would be, have both adrenal and insulin resistance. Erin and Sai, you guys have asked, what should we do to prepare ourselves for coming off hormonal birth control? So coming off hormonal birth control, um, because what hormonal birth control does is that with in PCOS is that it it basically acts as a sponge to mop up excess 
of those androgen male hormones in your body. Um, it's got the pill increases something called sex hormone binding globulin, which is basically a sponge that goes around and mops up this, you know, the androgens and testosterone. And it's these androgens and testosterone that get in and do the do the damage in PCOS. They get into your skin and cause, you know, overproduction of oil causing acne, they get into your hair follicles, causing them to grow dark and thick and cause facial and body hair growth, and into your scalp as well, causing, um, killing off those hair follicles and causing that to fall out. So if we just, if you think about it, like if you've, um, if your like child has gone into the bathroom and turned on the taps in your sink and put the plug in and just let the water flow, then it's you're going to have an overflowing sink. If you this, think about that as like the overflowing amounts of testosterone and androgen, those hormones that are causing the issue in your body. So if you, what you've done by using the pill is that you've gone and thrown a whole lot of sponges into that basin to mop up that water, which is great. It's stemming the, um, the problems at the moment, which can be super helpful for symptom relief. But if you just go and take those sponges away, the taps are still on full bore and the, the sink is going to overflow again. And that's the, the, that testosterone and stuff is going to overflow again and, and go around and cause that havoc in your body. And so many women find that when they remove, they, when they go off hormonal birth control, they then get a backlash in a lot of symptoms. Maybe symptoms they've never had before. Maybe they get a you know massive outbreak of acne or they get you know their hair growth is a lot worse or their hair falls out more. Um, so what I would do to, uh, I think it was you side to say, what do you do to prepare your body? And it's kind of a good way of thinking about it is that preparing that the fact that you're going to take away those sponges. So we have to actually get in there and turn off those taps of testosterone and, and androgens first in order to prevent such a backlash from occurring. Um, and so that the way that we do that is by getting in and addressing, figuring out what's causing those testosterone taps to be turned on. Is your insulin high? You know, is your stress hormones high? Um, you know, what is actually causing that testosterone to be high? Um, and this is what I term the root cause. Not saying you caused it, just saying it's always a combination of our genetics and something about our environment that's going on in PCOS. And most often it's insulin and blood glucose. So if you don't know what I mean about this root cause, go back and listen to the very first episode of this podcast and I explain all about it there. Um, Becky, you asked, can you have cervical fluid, the egg whitey cervical fluid, and still not ovulate? Yes, you can, Becky. So what the um, cervical fluid is doing is that's just indicating that your cervix is getting preparing to release that egg. Okay, so when your body is um, preparing to ovulate, you have a whole bunch of hormonal changes that opens up your, um, releases um, this cervical fluid within your cervix. And that basically is there preparing to help suck the sperm up through your cervix. Think of that egg white cervical fluid that you're you you know you, you're talking about, Becky, and for those listening, you might have noticed this in your underwear or when you go to the toilet and you wipe. That is basically like a jet pack for sperm. That's what's going to help take that sperm up through the cervix, through your vagina, through the cervix, and to the fallopian tubes, ready for that um, egg when it's released when you do ovulate. But it is not a guarantee that you're going to ovulate. For many women, especially with PCOS, your body will try to ovulate and just because of hormonal imbalances or maybe egg quality, a few other things going on, it just isn't able to get that egg out. 
And so then it'll try again in say 10 days time. So many women with PCOS might find that they have long cycles, long periods. So it might be that their cycles are 40 or 50 or 60 days long. And that means that your body has attempted to ovulate many times, has finally been able to ovulate, and then you'll get your period, you know, 14 days later, there or thereabouts. So Becky, that's just showing that your body is, that cervical fluid is a sign that you're fertile that you're leading up to ovulation, but it doesn't guarantee that ovulation has happened. Temperature, that's why I always combine cervical fluid and temperature when I'm um, helping women understand how to monitor their cycles. If you want to know more about how to do that, when we have a mini course called educated.com, it is like seven days basically to understand, learn how to chart your cycles both with temperature and cervical fluid to understand this a bit better. So that's at E-G-G-D-U-C-A-T-E-D, educated.com, and I'll post a link in the show notes for you. Um, next question from Mads, how long to wait and see if your lifestyle changes are working? Really good question. Unfortunately, it's a little bit like asking how long is a piece of string, okay, because we all start from a different starting point. I don't know, you know, maybe you have, um, a lot of different things going on. Maybe you have had an eating disorder for the last 20 years of your life that I don't know about. And so I could say to you, yeah, six months. But actually, if there's a lot of work to be undone, then maybe it could take a lot longer. I think that what we need to do is we actually need to understand that what we're doing is the correct thing for our body. And this is where working with a professional to um, help us understand, you know, getting like by our symptoms or getting some blood test results or something like that understand what's actually going on so that when we do make the changes we know that they are the right things for us and then we can be a lot more confident to maybe stick it out for you know six months a year plus for example if we know you have some insulin resistance we know what foods are making that worse then you're going to be working with those um, for you know potentially for the rest of your life it's not like you're just going to do that and then come off it Um, That can also help you once you know what the problem is, then understand, well, maybe if you do need some help with medications, what would be the best medications to to take? And also, so, you you know, your doctor can help with this absolutely. They're the ones to prescribe this. But when there's often it's a combination that the combination of lifestyle and medications work best together. And that's definitely the case when it comes to, say, PCOS especially if there's like some insulin resistance there then you know if you're if say for example your goal is to is fertility then you you might not have a cycle at the moment you might not be getting a period and and therefore might not be ovulating Uh, and so but if we just gave you like a drug of like letrozole or clomid to help you ovulate that might not that we know from studies that that doesn't work as well as if it's combined with um, something else to help improve your insulin whether that's the drug metformin or whether that's actually just lifestyle changes to help with that and lifestyle changes have been shown to be as effective as metformin um, in helping with insulin so um, when I would say that if you know what the problem is um then you can be a bit more confident at sticking with it over the long term and you might need to stick at it over the long term. I think that where a lot of people come unstuck is when they're trying to do this themselves. And I understand why, Um, you know, especially when I really interestingly, I'm going to 
um, be interviewing one of the women I work with, Helena, um, soon for the protocol. And she was just like, I really, before I came and worked with you, Claire, she was like, I was just so like annoyed that I had to pay money to for something that should be natural for women. You know, to, for me, she was like, the fact that I couldn't get pregnant, I felt so annoyed that I you know, had to pay to make my body do what it was supposed to do. Um, and I totally understand that. And that's why I'm, I'm bringing her on the podcast to talk about this because I think it's so funny. Um, but she, you know, she's a lawyer. And I was like, but the same back to you. Like, I feel annoyed as a business owner that I have to pay a shit ton of money to just comply with the law. Something that should be, you know, if you're imposing that law on me, why do I have to pay thousands of dollars just to comply with that law and have like a, a privacy policy on my website? So, um, I understand that it can be super annoying when you're like, man, I have to, you know, I have to pay for this and, and that's money that could be otherwise used for other stuff. But it is money well spent because otherwise you could spend a whole bunch of time going down the wrong track. You know, when you're saying, well, how long should I wait to see if this lifestyle change is working? And you won't know unless that is actually, you know, that's the right thing for you. And also too, um, you you know, like that is, you could also go and spend a whole bunch of money on supplements or other things that you don't need or potentially are making the situation worse. So, um, for, but for many, many women that I work with, you know, it might take six months, even when, we're on the right, when they're on the right course to actually see the change that they need. And that's why I interview so many women on this podcast. So you can see that, you can see that, you know, some of them, it might take six months to, for example, if their goal was weight loss, to see any weight loss. And that's because it's taken some time for their hormones to get back in balance. Others, it could, you know, it could be quite quick. Maybe it's within three months, they're suddenly pregnant. Um, but I don't want to showcase those kind of um, women because I think it sets, you know, those that are, you know, pregnant within a few weeks because I think it sets up a wrong example that you automatically think, okay, well, if I make the lifestyle change, then I should get the result that I deserve. Uh, within a few weeks and that's just entirely not true and it'll be setting you up massively for failure so main thing Mads really depends on you um, where you've come from have you, are you actually implementing the right lifestyle changes are these based on evidence of what's actually going on inside your body um, and then um, and then once you've done that I would say probably you know depending on what the symptom is but for example fertility um, we say that if someone is um, you know, charting their cycles, they know when they're ovulating, they know that they're timing intercourse correctly. Um, they, we would have to have six cycles uh, for them to show, yeah, that they should, they should have been able to conceive if they've done everything correctly within six cycles. So totally also depends on what your symptoms are. Um, hair loss is a much longer game, you know, we'd say within the years rather than within the months to see hair, hair coming back. So I hope that helped, Mad. Sorry, it's a bit of a like long-winded answer, but um, really de- hope I gave you a lot of different examples there to kind of look at what maybe where your position is. Rebecca, um, your question about bloods. So what's um, you say? I've got some tests taken, but they're all coming back normal. A couple of reasons for this. One is that the correct tests, the most sensitive tests are not being done. So specifically with PCOS, often um, you go to the doctor and say, hey, I want to get my insulin checked and they'll run an HbA1c and a fasting blood glucose uh, and they'll come back normal. And you'll be like, oh, so my insulin's fine. 
No, it's probably not. But those tests are bloody awful for picking up early stage insulin resistance. They are super unsensitive, insensitive. So what they'll do is they, they may pick up late stage insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, but even research that's been done on HbA1c has shown that even in many cases it will miss um, type 2 diabetes. So just, it's a really, it's a it's better as a marker for like population health, but on an individual level, it's pretty terrible. Um, so, but your doctor likely won't know that because they're not a specialist in this area. So main thing would be um, working with someone who's a specialist in this area and they can help you with the correct tests and also, um, or and or symptoms to be able to tell you what's going on if, we, if you can't get the more sensitive test or they're out of your price range. Um, Chloe, if you have limited ability to do diet changes what should you focus on should you focus on like gluten-free dairy-free <laughs> yeah great question and this is exactly why I focus on what the problem is first um, a couple of, I've given this example before but I'll give it again it's like going if you just are like reading information online and you're like oh I see a lot of people say go gluten-free go dairy-free or I see that some people say go vegan or some people say you know go keto what am I going to choose? Can, can I do all of them? No. Can I do some of them? Yes, I could. It's like going to the mechanic and saying, hey, my car's broken. Um, can you fix it? And they go, sure, here is a plethora of parts. What would you like? You know, you can choose one and we'll see if that works. I'm sure you'd be like, what? Um, why don't you do what normal mechanics do and figure out what the problem is first? And then I might not even need a part. I might just need petrol, I don't know, like, and actually just figure out what the problem is. Otherwise, you could spend a whole bunch of money and think about how much time that would take to swap every single part of your car out and how much cost that would take. So it's that's why I focus on first what the problem is and then we can fix it and we can, you know, use diet. So for example, if you, um, I've got a podcast exactly for you next week about why I, about gluten-free and why I don't recommend all women with PCOS go gluten-free and part of it is this exact issue that um, people only have a certain capacity for making diet changes and actually let's focus on what's going to be the most important and for most women with PCOS I don't see that gluten-free is the most important okay so um, that's so focus on figuring out what the problem is and then you can match it with the right diet changer change rather than having to guess and potentially spend years if not you know, years, if not decades, kind of searching different areas um, and spending a whole bunch of money that you wouldn't need to do. And last question I had was from Linda. Linda, is celery juice a good idea for um, liver detoxes and, and cleanses? Not such a fan, Linda. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm not such a fan of any real detoxes and cleanses. Um, primarily because there's not a lot of research to support them and I just think that there are so many other more important things that we could be doing so if it is for example that your liver needs support and many women with PCOS their liver does need support because they are um, in especially if you've got insulin resistance your body can deposit fat in your liver and it builds up to what's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Um, and and also too, because your liver is the place where your body 
deals with excess hormones like testosterone and when you've got PCOS you have got some excess hormones floating around your body and your liver and your liver has to break them down and then excrete them out um so but you know but doing there is no support that doing something like a celery juice is going to help your liver there's no evidence to back that there's no evidence for celery juice in PCOS um, and I think that it's just a bit of a at the moment when there is no support and it doesn't really doesn't really stack up in terms of why that would help as well like your liver has your liver like does the detoxing and it goes through certain stages so it goes it has um, phases of detox and each phase of that detox needs certain um, vitamins and minerals to help with that process if you don't have enough vitamins and minerals it won't be able to work as fast or do as much detoxing as what it would if you had um, all those vitamins and minerals. It's like if you um, go into a toy car manufacturing um, factory and you have all of the different parts there. So you have like the wheel bases and the doors and the windows and the wing mirrors and everything like that. If you um, only have, say, if, say for example, the factory should pump out 100 cars an hour, but if you only have 40 wheel bases, then that is the like rate limiting factor that's you can only make 40 cars an hour same thing with your body if you don't have enough vitamins and minerals then your your those reactions won't be able to occur and so that will limit how fast your body can and how much it can process through so instead of focusing on detoxes if your liver really does need some support if your blood test results have come back and your liver is struggling or you've got non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or something like that then I'd be focusing on the vitamins and minerals that your liver needs to run each phase of that detox rather than um, yeah rather than focusing on on juices which there is no evidence for so that's it I hope that that helped you understand a bit more, um, how they help with your questions. Lovely to hear from you all. Thanks so much for submitting those. And as I said, we'll be back next week for a long form podcast all about gluten-free diets and PCOS. So stay tuned for that. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information, including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services, and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat, or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.